0: This message was presented at the GYC 2015 Conference called Chosen Faithful in Louisville, Kentucky. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org. Father in heaven, we ask now for a fresh dose of spiritual discernment that we might hear your voice. Not our preferences and opinions, not our... Sin, but that we would hear holiness as a gift from Jesus Christ. I pray for your spirit to speak, to make clear anything that is murky, that we might come closer to you, have a deeper walk with Jesus Christ, and truly live his righteousness. In his name, amen. This book by Clifford Putney, Manhood and Sports in Protestant America, 1890 to 1920. The title of the book is Muscular Christianity, you might say, well, I thought that was about English imperialism. What does that have to do with sports? Well, in the 1880 to 1920 period, it started to become popular in America, the sports phenomenon, which was the exact same time, by the way, that the Adventist movement had really come to flower and flourish, and we had a growing body of spirit of prophecy insights that really hit their target right on the areas we need to hear it most. And I ended the session last time saying that there are three areas where we men become diverted from the true purpose, the true victory, the true achievements that God wants to give to us in our spiritual life as missionary servants of His. And those three were pornography video gaming, and spectator sports. And of course, there are more as well. Every individual is unique. Every individual has a unique brain as well, as I said last time, but also unique temptations. But how big is this one of sports? I'll tell you, in my personal life, it's been huge in the past and just being all-consuming. It's what you think about. It's what you obsess over. It's what you talk about. I mean, try going to a general secular family gathering where the guys hang out after dinner or whatever. What do you talk about? It's just the thing that you divert to, revert to, right? So, by the way, let me get into the, the quotes. You're going to hear not from me. Don't listen to your opinion or to my opinion. Listen to the Spirit of God who is the inspiration behind what we call the spirit of prophecy writings. Inspired statements. Here we go. From the book Education. The tendency of most athletic sports, this was written in the 1880s at the time when sports were really starting to become a phenomenon in America. The tendency of most athletic sports is a subject of anxious thought to those who have have at heart the well-being of youth. Games that occupy so much of his time are diverting the mind from study. So that's one aspect in an educational setting. And by the way, a lot of times we we will have you know, intramural sports, we'll have competitive sports, we'll have organized sports. And what they found in a study called Cognitive Genesis is that students in Adventist academies who play and participate in organized sports will actually perform lower academically. So what we just heard there is proven now by the research. Pretty interesting. Continuing on, they are not helping to prepare the youth for practical, earnest work in life. Their influence, the influence of sports, does not tend toward refinement, generosity, or real manliness. Which, two things there. Number one, you see sports aren't helping you become a real man. But interestingly, also, I just have to point this out from a previous session. There is such a thing as real manliness. Did you, did you catch that there? So this whole feminist ideology, that there's no difference in distinction between the genders. No, there is such a thing as real manliness. But... Real manliness is not brought about through the competitive sports arena. Here's real manliness for you. Jesus, the carpenter, casting out of the oppressors at the temple, as we talked about earlier. How about this? This is real manliness too, isn't it? Jesus with the children on his lap. Jesus taking upon the sins of the world, the ultimate act of courage, bravery, and self-sacrificing love. That is real manliness. Some of the most popular amusements, such as, did you know these were mentioned, In spirit of prophecy, football and boxing have become schools of brutality. They are developing the same characteristics as did the games of ancient Rome. The love of domination, the pride in mere brute force, the reckless disregard of life are exerting upon the youth a power to demoralize that is appalling. Now, that's a strong statement about football, and I've had a conversation with somebody where they said, well, no, back then they didn't have as many rules or didn't wear as many pads, so football was different back then. Today, it's okay. Is football today any less about the love of domination and the pride in mere brute force? It's still the same game, so this still all applies. In fact... I would say it's a whole lot more worse today because it's about a hundred times more all-consuming in the spectator sport of football with the biggest event in the world, the biggest media event in the world being the Super Bowl, which Madonna, by the way, called the Holy of Holies in America. She said that this is the sermon, the halftime show is the sermon, and she came to preach the sermon. So there's spiritualist influences in this and everything. We get into that in media on the brain. But back to, oh, real one, one quick statistic. Almost 100% of NFL players have a brain disease called CTE when their brains are autopsied. It's a brain disease with serious brain damage. 79% of those who have played football at any level, this is competitive, actual football, have that same brain disease. So it's not just NFL, it's any level as well. Other athletic games, so at this point you're going, okay, please don't talk about other athletic games. I can, whew, okay, I'm breathing. I'm, I'm, I'm taking this in. This is hard. And I know, by the way, this is hard. I've walked this walk, okay, and still do, as I said, but it goes on to other athletic games. Other athletic games, though not so brutalizing, are scarcely less objectionable because of the excess to which they are carried. Do you think that's taking place with our ESPN and ESPN2 and ESPN News and just 24-7 sports entertainment? They stimulate the love of pleasure and excitement, thus fostering a distaste for useful labor. So if you find everyday life boring, if you find school boring, you find labor boring, if you find reading the Bible boring, ask yourself, what else am I doing in my life that is causing these other things to become boring? It's usually entertainment related. They cause a disposition to shun practical duties and responsibilities. They tend to destroy a relish for life's sober realities and its tranquil enjoyments. Thus, the door is opened to dissipation and lawlessness with their terrible results. And there's more. counsels, of parents, teachers, and students, Satan is delighted when he sees human beings using their physical and mental powers in that which does not educate, which is not useful, which does not help them to be a blessing to those who need their help. While the youth are becoming expert in games that are of no real value to themselves or to others, Satan is playing the game of life for their souls. Wow. That's a wake-up call moment. This is delighting to Satan. Satan and his angels are working upon the minds of teachers and students to induce them to engage in exercises and amusements which become intensely absorbing and which are of a character to strengthen the lower passions. Boy, we're about to talk about lust. Did you catch that? That's big right there. Amusements are doing more to counteract the working of the Holy Spirit than anything else. And the Lord is grieved. And it goes on. A view of things was presented before me in which the students were playing games of tennis and cricket. Not very brutalizing games, right? Then I was given instruction regarding the character of these amusements. They were presented to me as a species of idolatry, like the idols of the nations. There were more than visible spectators on the ground. Satan and his angels were there, making impressions on human minds. I cannot find an instance in the life of Christ where he devoted time to play and amusement. I have not been able to find one instance where he taught the disciples to engage in amusement in order to gain physical exercise. By the way, this should be balanced by another statement that about children. Small children find diversion and development in play. Okay, so we don't want to just be like you know boot camp for our children, and you're gonna you know work till your you know fingers are numb, etc. No, children need play, and in fact, there's another statement that says that, that I, I, I'm not opposed to a simple game of ball. So you know, there's 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 some balance here as well that. Throwing a ball around with your kids, this is not not sin. It's the absorbing, competitive sports, particularly spectator sports. Watch this one. The world is full of excitement. Men act as though they have gone mad over low, cheap, unsatisfying things. How excited have I seen them over the result of a cricket match? I've seen the streets of Sydney densely crowded for blocks. And on inquiring what was the occasion for the excitement, was told that some expert player of cricket had won the game. I felt disgusted. Why are not the chosen of God more enthusiastic? It's because we're wasting away our energies on things that are not real and so that there's nothing left for God. All of our masculine strength and desire to achieve and passion is siphoned off into amusements, video gaming, you name it, and the Lord is grieved, as we said. Why are we not more enthusiastic about the gospel work? Entertainment, in a word. I hope it disgusts you as it disgusted Mrs. White there as well. How much time is spent by intelligent human beings in horse racing, cricket matches, and ball playing? But will indulgence in these sports give men a desire to know truth and righteousness? Will it keep God in their thoughts? Will it lead them to inquire, inquire, how is it with my soul? All the powers of Satan are set in operation to hold the attention to frivolous amusement and he is gaining his object. He is interposing his devisings between God and the soul. He will manufacture diversions to keep men from thinking about God. I remember as I was wrestling with this very principle, what, what really finally sealed the deal for me in helping me to break free from watching my favorite team and having to watch every game, or any games for that matter, was the idea of, wow, how much are my thoughts upon God, upon the lost, upon my relationship with Jesus Christ while I'm absorbed in this entertainment? And, and that, that settled it for me. I don't know what it is for you in these quotes that really hits cuts to the heart, but I know that the Lord is speaking to the men of the church on this issue and speaking strongly because he's given us this counsel. The world filled with sport and pleasure loving is always thirsting for some new interest. But how little time and thought are given to the creator of the heavens and the earth? Now, this statement, Education 57, this is sort of a summative statement for the whole part we've heard so far in Sessions 1 and 2 and this tail end of Session 2 that we're finishing up now. The greatest want of the world, need of the world, the greatest lack in this world is the want of men, men who will not be bought or sold, men who in their inmost souls are true and honest, men who do not fear to call sin by its right name. Men whose conscience is as true to duty as the needle to the pole. Men who will stand for the right, though the heavens fall. Isn't that powerful? That's our call. That's our calling. We are the chosen, the called. Are we going to be faithful? Such a character is not the result of accident. It is not due to a special favor and endowment of providence. A noble character is the result of self-discipline, of the subjection of the lower to the higher nature, The surrender of self for the service of love to God and man. Man, does that really just sum it up right there? Self-disciplining, subjecting self to the higher service of loving God and loving our fellow man. That's what the Christian life is all about, right? So how much do our diversions help us with that? Are we passive man because of the culture around us and we've accepted the propaganda line or we're afraid to be called politically incorrect or whatever? Are we just selfishly seeking our own pleasures as we're going to transition into the lust question? What is the Lord? See, I believe GYC is a special time, a holy convocation, an opportunity where each one of us hears specifically from the Lord to specific areas in our lives that are idols. And I don't know what those idols are for you today. I know what the Lord is working on with me. And the reason I like to preach so much is because I hear a lot of preaching. Because the Lord preaches to me when I'm speaking. I'll tell you something. I've got to have accountability on this thing of sports. Because it's, there's those old neur- neuron pathways. And so my question to you today, and I want you to think about this throughout the whole weekend. Is how will your life be different on Sunday, on Monday, when you head home compared to Today. What idols will we be surrendering so that Christ is the supreme love of our lives? That's what this whole seminar is really all about. Now, how about this? Think about these men. Enoch, Noah, as we wrap up the men section and head into The lust section. These guys were willing to be absolutely singular. They didn't have to fit in. They didn't have to do things like the, the stream of flow of culture around them. They were peculiar, a peculiar people. Abraham commanded his children and his household after him, faithfully led family worship morning and evening. But you know also, he was selflessly able to offer his own son to God, to offer the best of the land to his nephew Lot, even though he was entitled to it. Here's a true man right there, Moses, the leader of God's people. But his strength was not only in the fact that he led God's people, but the fact that he was the meekest man on earth. Isn't that wonderful? Biblical masculinity. Here, of course, David. David, not only because he defended little lambs and stood up to Goliath as a protector, but he had the courage in Psalm 51 to humble himself before God and confess his sin. That takes more strength than fighting a bear or a lion. How about you got Daniel, dare to be a Daniel, dare to stand alone, dare to have a purpose firm, dare to, you finish it, make it known. And then, of course, the three worthies who stood literally knowing that their death, just like Daniel's, was upon them. The Lord protected both. Powerful stories. And then Peter and John, I love these guys, they were preaching the gospel. They received a, a lashing for it, they were put in prison, and they were told, you may no longer preach in this name. They rejoiced for being considered worthy to suffer for the name of Christ. And they said, you judge for yourselves whether it is right that we obey God or man. And they stood up against those wicked rulers, even if it meant their own death. This is Paul. He might be my favorite man in the Bible. 2 Corinthians, from the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A A night and a day I have been in the deep, in journeys often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, Besides the other things, what comes upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. Empathy, love, compassion, that's a true man right there, is it not? Now here is the calling. This statement in education, I, have, I, I, I believe and I, I really know, this is at the core of the identity and mission of this convention where we gather together and we're not just here as spectators. We're not here to listen to some interesting messages. We're here to receive a calling to be faithful to the Lord's mission purpose. Here's the, one of the most wonderful statements literally in all of the spirit of prophecy. Success in any line demands a definite aim. Session two was called the, the definite aim or the definite purpose for your male brain, Right? Such an aim is set before the youth of today, both genders, of course. The heaven-appointed purpose. Here's your purpose, ready? Here's your marching orders. Orders, Giving the gospel to the world in this generation. This is the noblest aim or purpose that can appeal to any human being. Many a lad of today growing up as did Daniel in his Judean home. Studying God's word and his works. And learning the lessons of faithful service will yet stand in legislative assemblies, in halls of justice, in royal courts, as a witness for the King of Kings. Millions upon millions have never so much as heard of God or of his love revealed in Christ. And it rests with us who have received the knowledge, with our children to whom we may impart it. There's a message to the fathers to answer their cry, the millions who have never heard the gospel Our world is a scene of misery that we dare not even allow our thoughts to dwell upon. Did we realize it as it is, the burden would be too terrible. Yet God feels it all. Isn't that amazing? All of the pain and suffering, all of the misery in our world. God feels every ounce of pain that you've gone through, that everybody's gone through. He has infinite empathy and compassion. And here we are saying, why, God, would you let pain and suffering go on Wait a minute, he's asking that to us. Why are you not answering this call? Because his pain and suffering is infinitely more even than ours. In order to destroy sin and its results, he gave his best beloved. And he has put it in our power through cooperation with him to bring this scene of misery to an end. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature is Christ's command to his followers. To all, great or small, learned or ignorant, old or young, the command is given. In view of this command, can we educate our sons and daughters? Can we educate ourselves for a life of respectable conventionality? A life professedly Christian, but lacking his self-sacrifice. A life on which the verdict of him who is truth must be, I know you not. Thousands are doing this. Thousands are living a life of respectable conventionality. They're not bad people. They're well-behaved, good citizens. They're nice. They have a job. They go through the routines of daily family life. And they're average, not peculiar. God has called us to be peculiar. He's called us to be on fire with a definite aim and a definite purpose. But thousands are living a, Christian life that God will say I knew you not Jesus in Matthew 7 talked about those who will come and say Lord Lord did we not prophesy in your name and do all these wonderful things in your name and he will say I never what knew you you know what "no" means in the Bible means are we walking with God as Enoch did I hope I have time in the last session. I'm collecting your questions, by the way, for session six. And I hope to answer a lot of Q&A and share some testimonies on overcoming lust that people are sending. Go to beltoftruthministries.com. Go to the contact page. Send me your your, uh, overcoming stories, your, your testimonies on overcoming lust, and also your questions on anything we're talking about. But I hope I have time also to explore the life of Enoch Because he's living, he lived the life that we are all to live, that we all must live to be ready and be prepared for Christ's coming. So enough on that. That's my favorite quote of the entire seminar done. But now, my friends, we have a lot to talk about with regard to the lust issue. And I was all just finishing up session two there. But here we go with addicted to purity in a pornographic world. Right here, we have the brain is only 2% of the body's weight. Did you know the brain uses 20% of the body's energy? So 10 times the rest of the body's energy is used by the brain. Neurons propel messages through brain circuits at 250 miles per hour. The brain is amazing. The brain is more complex than our entire solar system, scientists tell us. It contains about 100 billion neurons. And not just 100 billion neurons, but each, each single one of these 100 billion can make thousands of separate connections with other neurons. So when we're talking about the quantity of total connections in the brain, we're looking at 40 quadrillion. Now, I don't even know what that number means. That's so big, my mind explodes. So I have to lay down dollar bills on the face of planet Earth. Did you know that if you laid down dollar bills on the face of planet Earth to get to 40 quadrillion, and I'm talking every inch, oceans and everything, covered with little rectangular pieces of paper, you'd have to cover the entire surface of the Earth nearly 50 times to get to 40 quadrillion. That's how many connections you have. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. This is a powerful, powerful organ. But a powerful organ can become powerfully addicted. That's what we're talking about with lust. And we're not just talking about the regular pornography addiction, the clinical situation of literally being addicted to pornography. Every single male, and this is a female issue as well. I'm speaking predominantly to males here. And they have good research on the male brain as it relates to lust. We're going to get into that. But every one of us has has images thrown at us all the time. Many are deeply into the dark world of pornographic addictions, but many just want greater control over their thoughts, over their eyes. You want to be able to have perfect purity because that's the mind of Christ. That's the mind that he wants to give to each one of us. Did you know that only 13.9% of young adult males never view pornography? So we're looking at 86% view it. One Canadian researcher attempted to launch a study on university-age men. He wanted to do a horrible study. He was going to show innocent minds pornography and see how it changes their brains. That would have been really, really bad to take pure minds and do that. But his study couldn't go forward because they couldn't find a single college-age male who wasn't already using pornography. So his findings, according to uh, London Telegraph Jonathan Liu, guys who do not watch pornography do not exist. That was the findings of his study. Slightly overstated it, I think, I hope, but anyway, that was his statement. 50% 50% of Christian men admit, admit in surveys to being addicted, so you know it's much, much higher. 54% of ca- pastors have viewed pornography in the previous year. They believe it's 79% of Christians in general viewed it in the previous year. Those are old statistics, by the way, from 2000. This has only gotten worse since then. Review and Herald, 1887, gives us a statement. Do you know about the story of the Israelites when they were encamped, ready to cross over to the, 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 Canaan, the Canaanite territory, the Promised Land, across the Jordan? What was Satan's ace card up his sleeve? You know, he couldn't get Balaam to curse the Israelites. He blessed them three times. So out came the women. The Moabite women came. And they tempted the Israelites into sexual immorality. And voila, he had the Israelite men. And it is said, said here that the very same Satan is now working to weaken and destroy the people who are just on the borders of the heavenly Canaan. That's us. Satan knows it is his time. He has but little time left now in which to work, and he will work with tremendous power to ensnare the people of God upon their weakest points of character. There will be women who will become tempters and who will do their best to attract and win the attention of men to themselves. Now, this is a statement out of Maranatha. It says, as we near the close of time, Satan's temptations to indulge appetite will be more powerful and more difficult to overcome. Is that not true? I mean, just look at the food industry and everything that's have done with appetite. I'm going to include a bunch of that, by the way, in Second Beast Rising, the series that I'm working on for this coming year, how counterfeit food has literally totally addicted the brain to various forms of hyper-stimulating foods i have to put it in quotes because it's not even actually food but what we have here is a statement that says at the end we will see appetite more difficult to overcome now in the brain the same circuits for food pleasures are linked with the circuits for sexual pleasures so this would be applying also to the sexual issue and so the controlling power of appetite will prove the ruin of thousands when if they had conquered on this point listen to this promise if you can conquer on the point of appetite you would, have, you would have the moral power to gain the victory over every other temptation of Satan. Isn't that awesome? That's great. But those who are slaves to appetite will fail in perfecting Christian character. The continual transgression of man for 6,000 years has brought sickness, pain, and death as its fruits. And as we near the close of time, Satan's temptations will become more difficult to overcome. Now, I've got to tell you a little history. i always got to give you the background, the context, how we got to where we are today. Do you know this man on the screen? I hope you don't. I hope you never read his books or anything about him or even learn anything about him because it's so disgusting, so horrific, that I'm hardly going to say anything. But basically, Alfred Kinsey is the founder of the sexual revolution of the 1960s. His books were the uh, uh, sexual behavior in the human male, sexual behavior in the human female, known as the Kinsey Reports, where he put out all sorts of absolutely fraudulent, phony, scientific research on sexuality and the 60s movement picked that up and ran with it as we talked about earlier. Now guess who studied Kinsey's weird, just like almost psychotic type of sexual theories? Who studied Kinsey's material? None other than Hugh Hefner, who you may know as the founder of Playboy, the guy who founded this whole movement in America of mainstreaming pornography. He said, I will be Kinsey's pamphleteer So he said, I'm going to take Kinsley's theories, and I'm going to make them widely available. And now you have millions, hundreds of millions of addicted men because of the actions of these two agents of Satan. Now, I have to emphasize the importance of Kinsey by saying this. Kinsey is to the pornography movement as Darwin is to the theory of evolution. He's that important. And I thought about this a little bit deeper, and I thought, boy, these two have some things in common, don't they? They both theorize that we are merely highly evolved animals and our conduct and our behavior as such can be animalistic, survival of the fittest, doggy, dog, sexual, you know, free for all, etc. And so both of these men are denying the creator and debasing the created. Isn't that Satan's agenda? To destroy the image of God in man. That's exactly what this is all about. Now, I shared a bunch of statistics that were kind of sobering and sad about how many men are entrapped by this. I want to give you a hopeful statistic. It's a statistic that hasn't been collected yet, so I don't actually have the numbers, but I know it's out there ready to be collected very soon. I believe that presently there are more men in our country, in our culture, in the West, in the world, that are overcoming the pornography trap than at any time in history. Because we had more addicted during the internet age coming in in the late 90s and over the last decade, decade and a half. And there are so many, there are secular movements of men saying, man, this is horrible. We've got we've to break free from this. And a whole bunch of self-help, a whole bunch of psychology. A lot of them don't have the answers because they don't have the spirituality. But I'll tell you, the evangelical churches are just on fire with this. They're all over the place on this message. They're talking about it A lot. I'm trying to help us talk about it a bit more as well here so that we can gain the victories that we need. Now, this is about to be probably the most horrific brain scan that you'll ever see in your life. When I saw this, it changed the way I viewed this completely. That's a normal human brain under a SPECT scan. Okay, This is a pornography user's brain. You can see the holes and areas of non-functionality, the prefrontal cortex almost completely gone. How about... This one, cocaine addict's brain. This is really the one that blew my mind even more. Pornography addict's brain. This is from the bottom. Yeah, it's worse. The pornography addict's brain literally has more areas of non-functionality than even a cocaine addict's brain. And when we read this statement in mind, character, and personality that the brain nerves which communicate with the entire system are the only medium through which heaven can communicate to man and affect his inmost life, we go, whoa, whoa this is hugely serious. This is not only a moral issue in terms of violating the law of God, but this is literally about destroying the image of God. Like Paul said in 1 Corinthians 6.18, he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. I think he was more right than he even realized when he said that. Sinning against our own body, debasing our brain, destroying our neurological connections, which are our only connection with God. This would be tragic. Now, I know that when I show those images of the brain, that men in general feel kind of like those guys look, like, man, what have I done to myself? Is this reversible? And you just, maybe you as a person who's struggled with the issues of lust in your life have walked around with immense shame and guilt and feeling just low and feeling like a spiritual failure, and you've got the accuser on your trail, kicking you while you're down, saying you might as well not even try. You failed again. You will fail again. You're a failure. That's your identity. That is a lie from the accuser, because the Bible says that when I am in Christ, I am a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. And so you don't have to walk around with guilt and shame like this. Now, momentary guilt is a good thing, Momentary guilt gives us that alert, alert, alert. You just violated God's law. You hurt yourself. You hurt somebody else. You hurt your father in heaven, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit. You have done damage. And the brain says, this was bad. It's called your conscience. It's called guilt. That's a good thing. But it's meant to be momentary. You're not supposed to walk around with a continual sense of guilt and shame as if it's a chronic state of being. No, guilt is meant to cause you to make it right with God, or if you've harmed somebody else, to make it right with them. And then it's let go. It's off the shoulders, and you you can breathe. You can walk in newness of life. See, God doesn't want you to be ruminating over your past sins and failures. In fact, they've found that in research in the brain, when you think about and ruminate over your failures and sins, it's passing the brain circuitry over the very same pathways as the sin itself. Now you see why Satan wants you to keep feeling the sense of guilt and shame all the time, because when you continually replay that and think about it and know your failures and own your failures and think about it, you're widening those pathways. You're increasing the chances that you're going to do it again in the future. When the Bible says that a righteous man may fall, but he gets up, when a righteous man, okay, as of right now, if you in your heart of hearts are going before the Lord, spiritually committing and saying, this has been an idol i have made provision for the flesh i have allowed this but right now i confess my sins before you father and i ask for the blood of jesus christ to take my sins not only off your record books but to block record books but to block the sins out of me out of the sanctuary the sanctuary in heaven and this temple that these sins would be removed in this day of atonement completely from me and that i would be a new creation God grants you that, it's a miraculous moment where you are whole in Christ. You have some work to do going forward by God's strength. But right now, you stand righteous before Jesus Christ. Okay? Don't let the accuser cause you to reinforce those pathways by saying, "Oh, maybe someday I'll get over this. No, you're over it right now. Okay? Now, there's more to be said. We can't just stop the seminar there. But that's where we stand right now. Okay? I gotta share this quote with you. This is just awesome. Jesus with a man in the pool of Bethesda. By sin, we have, severed, we have been severed from the life of God. Our souls are palsied. Of ourselves, we are no more capable of living a holy life than was the impotent man capable of walking. Many realize their helplessness. They are longing for that spiritual life which will bring them into harmony with God and are striving to obtain it, but in vain. In despair, they cry, O oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? Let these desponding, struggling ones look up. The Savior is bending over the purchase of His blood, saying with inexpressible tenderness and pity, wilt thou be made whole? He bids you arise in health and peace. Do not wait to feel that you are made whole. Believe the Savior's word. Put your will on the side of Christ, will to serve Him, and in acting upon His word, you will receive strength. Whatever may be the evil practice, the master passion which through long indulgence binds both soul and body. Christ is able and longs to deliver. He will impart life to the soul that is dead in trespasses. He will set free the captive that is held by weakness and misfortune in the chains of sin. The sense of sin has poisoned the springs of life. But Christ says, I will take your sins, I will give you peace. I have bought you with my blood, you are mine. "'My grace shall strengthen your weakened will. "'Your remorse for sin I will remove. "'When temptations assail you, "'when care and perplexity surround you, "'when depressed and discouraged you "'are ready to yield to despair, "'look to Jesus, "'and the darkness that encompasses you "'will be dispelled by the bright shining of His presence. "'When sin struggles for the mastery in your soul "'and burdens the conscience, "'look to the Savior.'" His grace is sufficient to subdue sin. Let your grateful heart, trembling with uncertainty, turn to him. Lay hold on the hope set before you. Christ waits to adopt you into his family. His strength will help your weakness. He will lead you step by step. Place your hand in his and let him guide you. Never feel that Christ is far away. He is always near. His loving presence surrounds you. Seek him as one who desires to be found by you. He desires you not only to touch his garments, but to walk with him in constant communion. We'll talk more about that when we talk about Enoch, this constant communion. But I wanted to share that hope with you before we get into all the neurology of the addiction and understanding the, the lust cascade and, lusting and understanding the pornography addiction. We've got to know that there is hope, that there is a solution, that there is a savior. And that solution has already been wrought out. It's already done. He's already defeated the devil. It's just waiting for Satan to be crushed under our feet, as it says in Revelation or Romans 16. Wonderful verse there. Anyway, let's get into this issue of addiction now. Modern science allows us to understand that the underlying nature of an addiction to pornography is chemically nearly identical to a heroin addiction. So this is what the researchers are telling us. The scientists are saying this is a drug addiction. So if you're addicted to pornography, you have the same level of compulsion, addiction, need, desire, the same level of addiction as a drug addict. Pornography triggers a myriad of endogenous, internal, natural drugs that mimic the high from a street drug. Addiction to pornography is addiction to what I dub erototoxins, mind-altering drugs produced by the viewer's own brain. And But I know that people will say, you know, I don't really have a big problem with pornography because the last time I viewed it was, you know, whatever, earlier this summer or, you know, a couple times a year I've slipped up and so I'm not in that, you know, habit. It's not a real big problem for me. So you're not taking the steps that are needed to tackle this issue. We don't say things like that about heroin, right? You know, I only used heroin a couple of times last year. You know, that's something we don't say. So same thing here. It's just as big of an addiction, maybe an even bigger moral problem. And so if you let the devil get a toehold in your life, numerous studies have shown that when you permit this to enter into your life, just to get a little wedge, that it overwhelms the brain's ability to think and to make wise decisions. It's like a hypnotic trance that takes over the brain. Adventist home actually refers to licentiousness as a form of witchcraft. So licentiousness meaning meaning lustful practices. It's like a witchcraft, like a bewitching because you know the devil is the true one behind this, right? This is not just neurology and physiology. This is a spiritual battle for your soul. And so you become completely captive under this hypnotic situation. So why is it so hard to stop? You probably... As an individual male in this culture have been hit with things and the eyes are drawn to things and you develop habits, uh, I'm talking about masturbation as well, viewing pornography or just general lust. You know, you're buying blueberries at the grocery store and there's those magazines and you just can't help but take that second look, right? The reason for this is that literally the structure of the brain has been changed. The structure of the brain has been conditioned and habitualized to engage in a particular behavior over time. And so those pathways become wider and wider and wider, and you just go down it without thinking. And so it's going to take some effort to reroute those pathways because moral principle is exceedingly weak when it conflicts with established habit. So you know it's wrong. You don't want to do it. You keep doing it. and You're going, why, am I, why do I keep doing this? Well, because moral principle is weak when confronted with your established habits. So do we need the Lord's strength in this situation? In my weakness, his strength is made perfect, right? The Apostle Paul said... I want to explain now to you the lust cascade so you can understand the process of your eyes and brain and how this all begins and ends. The first area of the brain that involves the desires of the flesh is the hypothalamus. This area is hardwired. It's not very changeable or plastic, if you will. This pl- brain plasticity is the term they use. This is an area of the brain that, it, that wants food, water, and sexual pleasures. And it's an area of our human nature that God has given to us. It's not sin, and there's nothing evil about this, and you aren't to overcome or, or do anything with this. It's just there, okay? Now, when you see an image, you see a sexual image on the billboard or the magazine or the screen, the thalamus activates an area called the LGN. That's the first stop on this lust cascade, if you will. So, in other words, you've seen, you've noticed the image, and the brain has said, there's something good there. Then it goes to step two. The vision processes the image in the occipital lobe at the back of the brain. So your eyes take it in, and the back of the brain, it sees it, it beholds it, it contemplates it, you think about it, you enjoy it, you look the second time, all of that, okay? So here, you're not having any control over it, here you can choose, you can make some choice and we're going to get into that, how to overcome all of this in the next sessions, but right now I just want to walk you through the whole process. If you allow that image to be contemplated and beheld and and looked upon, then what what takes place is the prefrontal cortex literally shuts down because the heart rate increases a bit, that shuts down the ability to have the executive centers of the brain functioning and the limbic system is on fire. And basically, it's kind of like the limbic system is the gas pedal, and the the prefrontal cortex is the brakes. And you've lost your brakes. You're just flying onto the highway, a highway with high containment walls. This is your pathway in the brain that you just go down naturally every time without thinking, and this becomes problematic, and you go down the slippery slope into additional lust. Additional testosterone is released into the bloodstream, priming the body for sexual action. And as you've beheld that image or thought for more than just an initial millisecond where you can have some control, you have this drive tension within the hypothalamus that increases the amygdala agitation. Now, amygdala are usually known as the fear circuits within the brain. But this is the area also where the agitation and the desire to behold more lustful images and engage in sexual behaviors is agitated. Then usually men will eventually relieve the amygdala agitation through masturbation. This releases enormous quantities of dopamine and endogenous opiates, The pleasure reward centers of the nucleus accumbens and the cingulate cortex are stimulated just the same as with substance abuse, literally. Upon ejaculation, the amygdala immediately are calmed. Anxiety and tension is released. So basically the amygdala, the flesh, if you will, clamored for something and it got it. And so then it's been satisfied. But not just that, it burns the initial arouser into the memory. Because the brain says, remember that. It's called the salience network. The brain remembers things that are emotionally significant, that are pleasurable, and it says, call that up at a later time. We're doing that again. So that's where the habit starts to set in. Now, there are certain effects of going down this slippery slope that I call the lust cascade, First effect of the lust cascade has to do with this area of the brain right here, called the anterior cingulate cortex. This is the area of the brain where you have your feelings of other-centered love, your feelings of conscience, okay? Now, first of all, your conscience is going to be seared. When you deny, deny, deny the alerts that are given to you by your anterior cingulate cortex, it starts to not respond to those. This is what the Apostle Paul said when we have seared our consciences as with a hot iron. There's a literal neurological reality to that. But not just that, Interestingly, the anterior cingulate cortex is when you're thinking of others and thinking of, 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 of truth and goodness and, and altruism. This area of the brain is, runs opposite to the amygdala. So it's kind of like a teeter-totter. When one is up, the other is down. When the other is up, the other is down. So basically, if you're in a situation of fear, let's use that as an example. You're thinking of self-preservation, right? Fear and self-preservation. That's not thinking of others and altruism, is it? Or if you're thinking of others, you know, you're running into a burning building to save a baby or whatever, you're not really that afraid of the fire. You're just like, ah, you know, right? Because this one's on fire and the amygdala is not as significant at that point. So what's going to happen over time if you deny this one and you enhance this one? You're going to have a weaker and weaker area here and a stronger, stronger and stronger area there. By the way, this is wonderful because the Apostle John says that perfect love drives out all fear. Perfect love drives out all fear. So these two are, con- are opposite. Love, fear. So perfect love drives out all fear, but also fear will drive out love. If you're thinking of self-preservation, then you're not thinking of others as well. Now a third effect of the lust cascade. The higher cortex is left out of the equation again and again, resulting in increased impulsivity, less self-control, and increased self-centeredness. So going down this lust cascade will damage your character further and further. And the natural route to pleasure is decoupled. The normal way that God's created us to experience pleasure is that when we do things according to his will, pleasure naturally follows. Our culture does it opposite. We try to go out in search of pleasure as if it's the end goal and aim. This hedonism, whatever you want to call it. It's living for self, aiming for pleasure, stimulation, entertainment, You name it. But God has created our minds so that when we live for him and we pursue his will, when you love others, when you sacrifice self, when you learn something new, when you accomplish something great and you've you've worked hard at it, pleasure naturally follows, okay? But when we go the easy way and do an end run around God's design, the brain becomes accustomed to, habituated to, the need to have the instant pleasure, to have it quick, to have it easy. They've actually done studies on rats on this and they they let them hit a a lever. If they tap the lever, they'll have a stimulator that that hits their nucleus accumbens, the pleasure centers of the brain. And the rats literally just start tapping the lever over and over again and stop eating their food and they start dying, wasting away and dying. What What an analogy for us today, right? I mean, we neglect the word of God because we have so many entertaining and interesting and exciting things to do in our day, so much stimulation, so much pleasure, whether it's the food, the sports, the entertainment, the lustful pleasures, you name it. And then the bread of life becomes distasteful to us because it's boring compared to everything else. You might not think about it that way, but that's really what it comes down to. When people break free from all the hyper-stimulating things we do in our lives and start buckling down and studying the Word of God and working with their hands and being out in nature, just living the life God's given us to live, this starts to come alive a lot more, especially when it's fused with an outreach mindset of concern and love for others and love for God. I mean, that's that's really the essence of it all. But anyway, you decouple this normal route to pleasure from God's plan and you go right to the pleasure centers, well, then the brain just demands it the easy way over and over again and you end up, like this drug abuser here, having less activation in the pleasure centers of the brain. A healthy brain enjoys life. You see a beautiful sunset, you hear the laugh of a small child, whatever it is, you just kind of love life. You just have a lot of joy, a lot of peace, a lot of energy, light in your eyes. But the drug abuser, life is just dull and boring until they get their hit, right? Same thing here with the, uh, the lust addiction. They did a study where they exposed subjects to pornography almost every day for over six weeks. Uh, Horrible again, but here's what the results were. The subjects were far less satisfied with their marital sexual relationship. No surprise there, right? Another study found that after viewing only 26 sexually alluring slides and one six-minute video, subjects were less attracted to their wives. No surprise there once again. But people have often had the thought, I know there's a lot of young people unmarrieds in here, that you may have been, had this go through your head. Once I get married, then this lust problem will go away. Ask any married man if that's true. <laughs> they will tell you, getting married does not solve your sin problems. It does not give you self-control. It does not reroute all the pathways in your brain that you've habituated over years of teenhood and, and, and young adulthood. And so this is just absolutely not true. Millions and millions of married men are addicted to pornography. And they have wonderful, lovely wives. But you can't compete with the hyper-stimulating, pornographic stuff that's put out there to be so intensely absorbing and so addictive. It's like a drug. So just to debunk that, you got to deal with this now because now is the day of salvation. These are the opiate receptors. They become numbed when you overuse them, like with pornography. So as I was saying, you become less pleasured by normal, everyday, average things. Here's another effect of the Lust Cascade oxytocin and vasopressin. These are the trust, love, bonding hormones. Have you ever heard of these? These are the ones that mother and baby bond immensely. When the mother gives birth to a baby, immense amounts of vasopressin and oxytocin are released. Or even upon breastfeeding. Now also, in sexual relationships between man and woman, there is an enormous quantity of these trust, love, bonding hormones that are released. and Which is appropriate, right? I mean, God has given us that so we always return to the wife of our youth so that we love and cherish and have this emotional connection, literally really based upon a chemical and in part upon a chemical connection that he's given to us however this becomes problematic when you're releasing these with many 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 different women out there in the internet or whatever instead of the one that God has reserved all of your love and affection for who may not even be in your life yet at this point but we're not supposed to be having these experiences with so many people because it messes up God's design for it so enough on that Number six, in terms of the effects of the lust cascade, it's the pathways. I've already talked about this issue with the widening of pathways. I won't get into all the science for the sake of time. It's very interesting, but you, you widen a pathway, you're more likely to use it in the future. And it becomes more of a habit. Here's a statement exactly about this. This is explaining the science of it over 100 years ago. The sensitive nerves of the brain have lost their healthy tone by morbid excitation to gra- gratify an unnatural desire for sensual indulgence. So, literally, the losing of the healthy tone of the nerves, and that's actually visible now under brain scans, where you can see, literally, you can look at a a pornography addict's brain, it literally looks like a different brain. You can see the pathways of certain areas of the brain are shrunk down, have lost their healthy tone, if you will, and other areas widened, as we've been discussing. This is from Maranatha. Even some who profess to be looking for his appearing are no more prepared for that event than Satan himself. They are not cleansing themselves from all pollution. They have so long served their lust that it is natural for their thoughts to be impure and their imaginations corrupt. It is as impossible to cause their minds to dwell upon pure and holy things as it would be to turn the course of Niagara and send its waters pouring up the falls. Wow. So the journey, the struggle, the battle you face is as difficult as turning those waters upside down. Do you see now why you need God? Why you can't have a half-hearted relationship with Jesus Christ and a pseudo-religious life and then say, yeah, I'm going to gain self-control over this? You're kidding yourself, okay? You need full, absolute, 110% devotion to Christ, laying aside every idol, asking, Lord, what do you want me to do? I'll go, I'll go to all the greatest lengths. I will make every sacrifice needed. I will do whatever it takes. And he'll probably ask you to do some kind of radical things to gain control over this. And because it's going to take radical things, as we just read with the, the, um, the Niagara. Now, often people have also wondered, why did God give me a sexual nature to begin with? Many addicts have said, "Just God, just take this away. Just make me completely asexual. Just, just, I don't want to have sexual desires whatsoever. What do I do? Well, he hasn't done that, and he probably won't do that. And I'll tell you why. Because God is three, right? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And he has created us, male and female, in his image. And so God is a relational God, and he's created us to be re- relational beings. As relational beings, part of that is the sexual intimacy between husband and wife. Part of it. Now, can you have intimacy outside of a sexual relationship? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. In fact, I'm going to get into that. I'm going to get into it right now. Okay, quick story. This is a wonderful analogy from the East Coast. They brought in these moths, and they had a bunch of... uh, They wanted to have a silk industry. They have all these moths going all over the place, but the moths start eating all the vegetation on the trees. And the trees are getting destroyed by the moss overrunning the whole ecosystem. And they're panicking. They're going, what do we do? The moths are taking over. Well, what we do, they decided to create a little capsule where they encapsulated the scent of the female gypsy moth that the males are attracted to. And they would release these capsules all throughout the environments of the moss, so that during mating season, the, both sexes would come out and they would be ready to find their mates, but the male moths would not be interested in the female moths at all. They would be going for the capsules and obsessing over the capsules and flittering about the capsules. And all the female moths are going, what's going on here? Well, this is what an analogy this is for us, right? I mean, we have a generation of marriages that are at best weak and barely staying together and more often just falling apart at the seams in large part, in part due to these issues right here. Because when it comes to the issue of intimacy, God has created each one of us with a deep need. We don't have a need for sexual behaviors. Okay? I just want to be clear on that. People say, oh, I got to have my needs met you know, all this nonsense from the popular culture. Give me a break. There's no needs there. You know, you need food and water. And evolutionary scientists confuse this because since sexual behaviors are in the same areas of the brain as food and water desires, they say, oh, that's all needs. It's a need. No, I can can name at least one person. His name is Jesus, and he lived 33 years without any, of course, any, any sexual engagements of any kind, whether private or with another individual. Perfectly, sexually, pure, totally abstinent from any sexual behavior. And so it's not a need, first of all, but we do have a real need. And you know what that need is? True, deep intimacy. Connection human to human. Mother to father. Son to father. Sister to sister. Friend to friend. Those relationships fill a hole within us that God has created so that when we have these connections with other humans, we are painting a picture of God because God is relational. But here's the thing. Many, many, many people are starved of intimacy. They haven't had deep relationships. They didn't have good relationships with their parents, particularly with their father. And so since they're starved of intimacy, Satan can throw a counterfeit out there, pornography, lust. And the areas of the brain that say, draw yourself to a female for intimacy, are are rerouted into a cheap pleasure where there is no intimacy. It's kind of like when you go into the gas station, if you're starved for real food, and you see the Twinkie on the shelf, and you go, oh, man, that Twinkie looks good. But really, that's not food, right? It's not food. The Twinkie is a counterfeit food. But your brain, your body says, I want that. And you go and you gobble down that Twinkie. Is your body satisfied with the true need for nutrients? No. The pornography is the same way the counterfeit capsule has been put out there, and a generation of intimacy-starved, lonely people who are the most connected generation in history through social networking, but the most isolated in terms of deep emotional bonding, are so intimacy-starved that they are so much more in drawn to this counterfeit. I'll tell you, there's actually studies out there that have shown that people who are, people who came from homes that were emotionally disengaged People who came from homes where there wasn't much warmth and closeness are much more likely to become pornography addicts. Now, that doesn't mean they're the only people. Anybody's a potential candidate for this temptation, particularly men. But the ones who had the least amount of deep emotional intimacy with their family, with their parents, are the most likely to fall for this trap because they're so starved. And what an what a ugly, wicked temptation that is, right? And I'll tell you something. You may never marry. Maybe Christ comes very, very soon and the young people in this room never marry. Or maybe you're struggling with same-sex attraction and you're going, this is the cross I've got to bear. I mean, I may never marry if the Lord doesn't take this away and, and change my attractions. And to be faithful to the Bible, I will not lie with a man as he lies with a woman. And I'm going to be faithful to the word of God and I can be saved even with these temptations. Amen? If you never marry for whatever means, some people are just called not to marry. Jesus said that... Not all ought to marry. Paul said that. And then Jesus also said that some are eunuchs, some are born this way, some never marry. And then he said, said, marriage is for life, by the way. And the disciples said, if that's the case, it is better not to marry because what if I marry poorly, right? So there's a lot of situations where somebody will never have that form of intimacy, husband-wife, sexual intimacy. And sexual intimacy is just one aspect of a greater, deeper, wider intimacy of husband and wife. And if you never have that experience, that doesn't make you less human. That doesn't mean you're not fulfilled. That doesn't mean your needs aren't being met. Did Jesus live a life being fully human? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he was totally fulfilled by his Father in heaven. That's the ultimate form of intimacy right there. And by intimacy, of course, I just mean closeness. I mean relational connectedness. You know, if we had our true needs met spiritually, relationally, emotionally, This issue of the pornography addiction would not have nearly as much potency and punch to it. So are we walking with Jesus Christ? Is he our best friend? Do we go to him in conversation, in prayer, pouring out our hearts to him, asking him to walk beside us that we might walk with him as did Enoch? That's ultimately going to be the solution to this. Now I have a whole lot more to say about this. We have another session this afternoon in 15 minutes. And we have another session tomorrow on the issue of overcoming lust. And so I want to give you more hope, more tools in your bag to slay this dragon in your life. But before we go there, I want to have a word of prayer and close. And the specific appeal at this point is just to ask the Lord to speak specifically to us about the steps we need to take, that we would be willing to do anything he would ask. Father in heaven, we've dealt with some difficult issues this afternoon, and I know that your heart is grieved to see the pain and suffering of this world, those who've suffered abuse, neglect, that you you feel it all. And you've put it in our power to end pain and suffering by cooperating with infinite strength. We just ask for that power in our lives to not only give us victory over sin, but to create a new passion and desire and purpose for us, that we wouldn't be drawn to the counterfeits of this world, the video games and the, the spectator sports and the meaningless, worthless things. Help us not to be drawn to the vain thing, but to, do, to the true and the holy and the lovely and the admirable and the excellent and the praiseworthy. And we know all those things are found in you and that you are all those things. May you be those things to us. May we truly love you and love your word and not, not view this as something that's obligatory, it's a part of our lives, but may we truly, fully be consumed by our love for you and love for souls. And Father, I know that there are many in the room who are not only struggling with the occasional glance, the second look at alluring images, but deep-seated addictions that have widened the pathways of the brain and created habits that every soul in here must find freedom from with your strength. We thank you so much for your patience with us. We thank you that you are bending over your purchased possession, like the man at the pool of Bethesda saying that we can be made well if we look to you. Help each soul to be making a decision right now, Father. A decision right now at GYC that not just this coming year, but our entire lives as we approach this new year, our entire lives would be fully dedicated to you. That every idol, that every provision for the flesh that we've permitted in our lives, that every diversion from your word and from your purpose that you're calling to us, us to, that all of that would be sacrificed and surrendered and laid on the altar before you. And I don't know what those peculiar things are today, but Lord, I do know that we all need to be making decisions to be willing to go to any length that you ask us to go to, to make the most outrageous sacrifices, to do the most seemingly ridiculous and peculiar things that the world would say, why? Father, we want the world to ask us why we are peculiar. Why are we having so much hope and peace and joy in our lives? Why do we find purpose and? Winning souls for others. We pray that we would be that example as a generation. In Jesus' name, amen. This message was recorded at the GYC 2015 conference called Chosen Faithful in Louisville, Kentucky. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire young people to be Bible-based, Christ-centered, and soul-winning Christians. To download or purchase other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org.